0: So last Sunday, if uh, you weren't here, we talked about how God is a God on the move. And we're able to see how God moves throughout the Scriptures uh, as He he reveals His plans and His purposes through His people. And we looked at how God had plans and a purpose for Abram last week. And Abram was from an idol-worshipping family. He was from an idol-worshipping country. And he didn't know the one true God. But out of God's grace, out of God's good pleasure, out of God's mercy, God chose Abram. And he chose Abram to bless Abram, so that then Abram would be a blessing to many others, which includes us. So our God is on the move, but he's not the only one on the move, because we too are called to respond. And so today we will see how God's people, the church, is on the move. And I think these two statements, God being on the move and the church being on the move, complement each other well. And this morning we'll hear from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. And this passage emphasizes how we are chosen by God as his people to bring God's kingdom here on this earth. So let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you that you've given us one story of you being on the move. And through your power and your spirit, you send your people, your church, on the move. You sent your Son on this earth to be on the move, and you desire for your church to be on the move. So open our hearts to seek you and to seek what you are saying to us in this morning's Scripture reading and message. It's only in Jesus' powerful and beautiful name we pray. Amen. So our reading is from 1 Peter 2. Four through ten. First Peter two verse four. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, "See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone." And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, that causes people to... Do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession and that you might declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we go back a few thousand years to the early church, where the early church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And when we look at those days of the early church and beyond, there's not a lot that's probably different today because people were religious. The Jewish people served the triune God of heaven and earth most of the time. And ancient civilizations had their gods. They too were religious. They had gods of war, gods of fertility, sun god, moon god, and that list goes on. And each person probably had their God's assurance or promise that there's some sort of life after death. Most every religion promised that. So today, too, people are religious. Christians, Jews, Islam, Buddhists. And all these gods and religious religions promise some sort of better life or eternal life after death. I was chatting with someone in my office some time ago who has never gone to a worship service. And I asked this person, what do you think happens after death? And the reply was, well, I'll probably just go to heaven. You see, many people will respond and believe they will go to heaven. So if heaven, if getting to heaven rather, becomes the goal of a person and most people feel that they have met that goal, because many believe in life after death, and many religions from ancient times to now preaches that, then we've got to ask ourselves, what then is the role of the Christian church today? You see, eternal life is the promise, but what's the church's purpose? There was a sign on Highway 4, by Crabby Joes for this past month. And I imagine many people saw it. If you didn't, on the sign it said, something new is coming to Exeter and it will be life-changing. Something new is coming to Exeter and it's going to be life-changing. And I have to admit, I really like that powerful statement there because that defines Church. That is what the church is called to be. We are called to be something new for everyone. We are called to be life-changing for everyone. And then if we're not doing that, are we really being the church? So then that gets us back again. Maybe the church's goal, the church's purpose, is not to be so heavenly focused that we're no earthly good. So let's see what 1 Peter, or rather, let's uh, see what Peter says this morning, 1 Peter 2. Peter's referring to stones in our reading that we had. He's referring to stones and a temple, or he, in the version that I read, he called it a spiritual house. The Jewish people were used to their temple representing their God, but the gospel was now moving into the Gentile or Greek territory. The gospel is slowly, well, quickly actually, moving out to all nations. And so here we have some of the disciples are no longer making disciples of the similar people, the Jewish people. But they are now making disciples of Greek people, Gentile people. And as the disciples moved out with the gospel message, things were challenging. Things were becoming messy. And there were several other temples that they were coming to and other gods that they were hearing about. We're going to travel a bit back again in history. And part of this history lesson has come from the video series from Ray Vanderlaan titled In the Dust of the Rabbi. In this video, we travel back to ancient Israel and ancient Greece. And there's one famous temple for the Greeks that was the Temple of Athena in Priene, Priena. Now, ancient temples were constructed rather beautifully and majestically, and they were constructed by stones. The stones would often be cut in a quarry and in the quarry they would then number these stones because the specific stone was cut for a specific purpose and then it was put in a specific place in the temple. So stones were given numbers, they were given thought, they were given design, they each had a purpose. And the purpose of these stones were to come together to form one magnificent temple. The purpose of this temple was built to show the presence of Athena. To show the presence of Athena to the community and to the world. Because the temple was built and placed in such a way that you would be coming from land or by sea, and for miles you could see this temple of Athena. So the temple would show off its greatness, but it would show off the greatness of the goddess Athena. In addition, this temple would be the place to provide food and provide water. And as people would take their food and take their water, they'd likely give thanks and glory to the goddess of Athena. Thank you, Athena, for the food. Thank you, Athena, for the water. The temple was, in some cases, a place where people would receive clothing and or medical care and even entertainment. And they'd probably thank the goddess Athena. So Vanderland... Shares a story for us to kind of put in our minds. Picture a child going with her friend's family to this temple for the first time. And this child would be coming up to this majestic temple and would be enjoying a meal with her friend's family and maybe some care and likely stay for some entertainment. And then she would go back to her own family later that evening. And then they'd ask well, how was your day? How, what did you do? And and she had this story of being at her friend's temple and she would share that she saw the majesty of the temple, but not only the temple, she would also share that the excitement of her seeing the majesty and, and seeing the goddess of Athena today. Because the temple pointed and represented the goddess Athena. Old Testament Jewish times, the temple The tabernacle represented the God of Israel, our God. So where do people see our majestic and awesome God today? Where is the Christian temple today? Well, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, is already giving hint to what the temple is. Isaiah 51, verse 1, we read, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut, And to the quarry from which you were hewn. Now I had to look up the word hewn. And hewn means to strike hard with a cutting object. So Jesus is the cornerstone, the rock, from which we are cut. And he's chiseling away and he's cutting hard at us to to give us that purpose, to put our purpose into reality. We are cut for a purpose by him and for him. Now, in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, begins to be a little more clear to the people, and he states in 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17, don't you know, now when Paul says don't you know, it's likely the people don't, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So this has got to get us thinking a little bit. What about when we call this God's house? We do it sometimes, right? Welcome to God's house. I I begin to wonder if our language is theologically and biblically incorrect. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5. As you come to him, to the living stone, and it's talking about the living stone, capital S, one stone, living stone, Jesus Christ, As you come to the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, small s, plural though, living stones are being built into a spiritual house or a temple of the Spirit to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Peter goes on to say that this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, was rejected because people are wanting to hear a different message. Maybe people are wanting to hear uh, the message that, oh, don't worry, don't, don't worry about anything. You'll get to heaven, no problem. But the message is more. And Peter goes on to say in verses 9 through 10, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The message of mercy is that on our own, there's no hope. But we're not on our own. God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. Instead, he gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us his love through Jesus Christ. So that we will declare the praises today. Today. Of who he is. So are you beginning to understand maybe what's happening in this chapter? Because we are stones. Plural. Cut from the cornerstone for a purpose already today. We are God's chosen people. We're extended mercy. And we're called to be separate already today. So first of all, it's not only about the future. It's about today. God's people are on the move today. And every time Peter says you in this passage, the noun is plural. And when he does this, these plural stones are coming together into one singular spiritual house. They are coming together as one temple. They are the spiritual house. They are the temple. The local church. So Jesus is the cornerstone. The people are the stones. And together, we the people come together as one house. Or other places in Scripture will often state one body. And that is one amazing difference about the Christian religion to the Greek gods or other religions. In other religions, people need to see and go to the temple, rather, to see their God. And if over time the temple is destroyed, then that doesn't do much for people in being able to see their God. Peter is stating that we are living stones being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that God is alive in each of us, in His people. We have been cut out of God's quarry as a specific stone, but put together as stones, plural, for the spiritual temple. We've been cut from the quarry where Abram, Peter, Paul, you, me, we've all been cut from that same quarry. We've been cut from where other believers have been cut. And it's all on account of God's mercy. And every stone is God's way of saying that you fit into my house. That you are chosen. You are a stone cut from the cornerstone. Cut from the quarry. You belong here. You belong together. You're even numbered. Actually, Scripture says you're named. He knows our name. As any stone in the temple, when you look at it, you will see how precise it has been cut. But you'll also probably notice some of the imperfections, because that's what we tend to do as people. And over time, some dents and pieces may fall off. And when people look at us as a stone, they may see some of our imperfections. But we need to know that we are God's stones, and the imperfections don't matter to Him. God made you, He lives in you, and He called you together to form one spiritual house. So God doesn't live in spiritual temples or structural buildings. God lives in you. A living spiritual temple. One temple, many stones. So Peter here is talking about the local church. And in this passage, yes, it's important for us to know that yes, as individuals, we belong to Jesus. But Peter's not talking about us as individuals here. Peter's talk about the church. The church. One temple belonged to Jesus. And the church is on the move. The church is a spiritual temple. The church is what represents Jesus Christ into this world, bringing praises to Him. So when we, the people, the church, come into contact with people in this community and in this world, those people are coming into contact with the church, with the body of Christ, with God himself. That means we, the church, become the very word of God. So when a child goes to a Greek temple and says, I saw Athena, today a child would look at us, and they see the church. And they say, I see Jesus. The church consists of different stones. Living stones. People. And the church exists for the sake of other people. The church doesn't exist for its building or for the programs. It doesn't exist so that people will get into heaven. That's a promise from God. That's not why we exist. It exists for the people. So people can see Jesus on earth today and follow him and become part of his church. So scripture is clear what our purpose is today. We are chosen as God's people for a purpose. To declare the praises of God today. Scripture is clear that means that we are to love God. We heard about that in our time of confession, our call to confession. To love God and love one another and how we often fall short. But that's what we're called to do. That is our purpose. To love God, to love his people. And when we are when we love our neighbors and our communities this communicates the love of God. This is the proof that there is a living God because his people are the living stones. So when we the church do not get along the presence of God is hidden. The power of the message is lost. The temple gets destroyed. It's okay to have different ideas. It's not okay to be divided. Or if we, the living church, says, hey, come and welcome, we welcome everybody, but this is how you have to behave in order to belong, what does that say when our God is a God of mercy? We deserve punishment, but he gives mercy. How does being divided and not extended mercy reflect the praises of God? What does this say to our communities? Brothers and sisters, we are God's chosen people. We are the people of God. We are the people who have received mercy from God. That means we deserve punishment, but we don't get punishment. Rather, we get the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And on account of Jesus' works, not our own works, we are saved. And what does that mean for us, for the church today? How are we as a church on the move? Because our God is on the move and he is moving in and around us. So how are we responding? Let's just not go to church. No, no, let me rephrase that. Let's not just go to church because church is not only at 332 Euron Street West. That's this address for those who don't know. It's not just at 332 Euron Street West on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. It's necessary. We need to get together, but let's be the church. Sometimes it's discouraging to see an emptier church on Sunday mornings. But maybe we should never have expected people to come to us. And churches have been that way for decades. We are the church. And we are to go out and be the church. And to be on the move. And you will see, we will see God changing people. He will be changing us, and he'll be changing others. I want to close off from a reading that the small groups are doing. Um, It's from the book, Where Do I Come In? And in this reading, there's a pastor from one of his books where he says that there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden and disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized in this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Let's go back to that sign on Highway 4 by Krabbe's. Something new is coming to Exeter. It will be life-changing. Let that new thing not only be a new church or any other Christian church in Exeter, but let that new thing also be Exeter Christian Reformed Church as we go out into our neighborhoods and communities as a spiritual temple, giving praises to our God for all that he has done for us through his cornerstone, the living cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And may people be able to say, I see Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Savior, our living cornerstone, we thank you that we are your temple and by your mercy we are chosen to bring you glory and praise. We thank you for your church and for each stone, for each person that makes up the spiritual house, the church. And as your church, may we not only see this as a building, but may we see it as your people. Your people who gather together throughout the week, only to be scattered together throughout the week. Bless our church so that people will see you when they see us. And it's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.